Thank you to Matt Pfaff and Christopher Dunn for their Patreon pledges this week. This episode of the Major Spoilers podcast is going out to you and to everyone who supports the shows and all the shows that we do in the Major Spoilers podcast network. Listen, if you are not already and you want to find out uh, how my son was labeled as a homeless child, you can become <laughs> a Major Spoilers patron today and listen to the pre-show by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And if you do sign up, maybe my son won't have to be homeless in the future. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it's two-fisted adventure milk canif style as we take to the skies with Steve Canyon. There's magical turfers and no time to die with angels and demons and witches in the wings. And was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No, because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Senator and Mrs. John Blutarski agree the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 951 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Oh, we are going all the way back to the 1950s this week when we talk about the Korean War antics of one Steve Canyon. Oh, it's going to be thrilling. You're just not going to be able to believe. This is nothing like MASH. This is nothing like, it's definitely nothing like Mandrake the Magician either. So uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But first, some news. Eternals debuted last week in the United States of America and brought in $71 million at the box office. Uh, similar to Shang-Chi's release, Eternals was a theatrical exclusive instead of a digital day and re date release like Marvel Studios did with Black Widow. Now, while critics have uh, been fairly hard on the characters created by Jack Kirby, currently sitting at 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, there's enough interest in the film that it earned $161.7 million worldwide. The financial success of the film's opening weekend means it's going to be at least 45 days before we see it arrive on digital services. Rodrigo, what do you think of that? Are you, uh, did you go see the Eternals? No, I, I, uh, I'm trying to avoid the theaters. Yeah, um, me too. Really for multiple reasons, not just the, the pandemic, but also because I, I just never have like particularly comfort, comfortable theater going experiences. Yeah, me too. Um, we did go see Shang-Chi long after it came out. Uh, just kind of in the trying to time it so that, you know, we wouldn't end up in like a theater full of people. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't go see Eternals. I'm not looking forward to to seeing them, uh, the, the Eternals, because I don't like the source material, really. Um, I and I think I think that's I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I think that's probably part of the problem. Like how like when you look at how are the Eternals similar to other Marvel properties? That's not hard, right? They have superpowers um, and they're a team. It's like when you look at how are they different, you have to get into the Eternals' weird backstory. And I think that weird backstory just isn't playing all that well. Yeah. yeah um, I agree. Yeah. Matthew, did you, you I'm guessing problem. you also didn't see it? Oh, no, I don't go to the movies. Um, I'm going to see it when it comes around. But I think the biggest problem with the Eternals is that uh, their premise is negated by existing in the Marvel universe. This is true in yep. the comics too. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the Eternals are basically, these are the guys who inspired all the legends of gods. But when you put that in, you know, even the MCU, you're like, okay, well in the comics, the gods are real. Yep. Uh, yep. So they actually know the gods and they're like, well, we were mistaken for the gods, but in the movies, it's the gods are not real. Asgard is not really the ancient gods of myth. And these guys, you know, you kind of have that thing where there's too much magical realism, you know. And, of course, I've seen a lot of people screaming about the integrity of these characters. And I'm like, you don't know mm -hmm. who these people are. You don't um, know who Makari is. You didn't know who Makari was before had, the movie came out. I, I had I had that joke going when this was first announced. Like, nobody knows right. who nobody's nobody. Not a single person has ever read an Eternals comic. They just think they yeah. have. And this is the thing. I have. I, you know, I actually have a, a little bit of emotional uh, connection to a couple of the Eternals characters, but you know what? 
Salma Hayek as Ajax is is brilliant. Sure. I feel like the you know the the problems that people are are having with this are not problems with the film. It's problems that they have with their own preconceptions and trying to line it up with this is a Marvel movie. I know well, what and we're gonna get. Which was the movie is asking for, right? It's like yeah. that's that's the problem is that this is a a Marvel uh, offering asking you to not take it as a Marvel film. But again, I haven't <laughs> seen it. This is just kind of what it seems to me. Uh, is, right. is happening. Yeah, my guess is we probably will see this either late December or early January when it hits the streaming services. So we got a little ways to go. Yeah. Rodrigo, what's next? Uh, well, let's let's shift to a a uh, franchise that is completely grounded in reality. Uh, speaking of digital services, the latest James Bond film, No Time to <laughs> Die. Uh, it's now available for audiences who don't want to venture to the local movie theater. The movie arrives as a 1999 rental, 24 days after its debut. Currently, No Time to Die has earned 133.3 million domestic, uh, which ties it uh, with uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, one of the lower-grossing films. But fear not, James. Fear not, James Bond has so far brought in 670 million worldwide. I was rather surprised when they announced last Friday that you would be able to do a rental for No Time to Die 24 days after its debut. Now, Universal Pictures is the only one that I am aware of that has an agreement with the movie theaters that says if the opening weekend is not $50 million or more, that they can ship that out to uh, streaming services faster. So this one hitting 24 days really surprised me. And at the same time, I'm thinking, huh, that's weird. Shang-Chi, which came out in what, um, was that September, September 3rd, it doesn't arrive on digital until this week on the 12th. Uh, so even, uh, James Bond beat Shang-Chi to, to digital in that. So I found that very surprising. 670 million isn't, uh, is a lot. But it's the, I think I saw something that said it was of the, the, um, Daniel Craig movies. It's the one that has performed, um, the weakest of, of the Craig movies. But again, this thing's been sitting on the shelf for a year and a half, almost two years. So, you know, Daniel Craig was the, was the shot in the arm that the franchise needed 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you know, this one also uses the love boat font, so I can never watch it. (laughs) No, it's true. Uh, also, uh, uh, the word on the street friends is that, uh, black Panther colon Wakanda forever has shut down their production temporarily, probably until early 2022 reputedly due to an onset injury sustained by Letitia Wright, who, uh, plays Shuri during a stunt in Boston earlier this summer. Um, the expectation, and I don't know if anybody is sure yet. I haven't heard any official Lottie Doo duties. Uh, Wright is expected to take a bigger role in the film due to Chadwick Boseman's passing away in 2018. As of now, Disney has no plans for pushing back the release date on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So if they start shooting again next spring, they're still trying to make November 11th, 2022 for their... Uh, yeah, that's tight. I don't know. Well, so... the. Keep in mind, uh, Letitia mm-hmm. Wright had her injury in August of this right. year. And so she's been on medical leave. Uh, meanwhile, months, they yeah. have been shooting around her. So they're shooting all the other stuff mm. in the movie that doesn't involve her. The problem is mm-hmm. she was still complaining about her back injury or she was still saying she wasn't uh, well enough to get back to set. So that's why they're like, well, the only stuff we have to shoot is your stuff. So I guess we'll try this in January. Uh, and get back to set for those okay, people who, those people who want to nod and a wink and a, mm-hmm, yeah, back injury. She's also one of the ones that has, uh, spoken out against getting vaccinated yeah. and, uh, she can't be, uh, in Atlanta shooting on a film set if she's not vaccinated. So there may be some of that mm-hmm. going on as well. Yeah. Who knows? That's, that's, uh, very speculative. If right. that has yeah. anything to do with it, but, yeah. but also, um, if if this is all on the up and up, I'm glad that they're just rescheduling, right? Rather than forcing. Yeah. Oh yeah, forcing her, her to, to work on a back injury or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. All right, we're gonna wrap things up with little Stranger Things season four news this week. If you are hoping for a holiday release 
of Stranger Things Season 4. Now you're going to have to wait a bit longer as Netflix announced the fourth and possible final season of the show will arrive in the summer of 2022. The last time we saw the kids from Hawkins, Indiana was way back in July of 2019. The main reason for the delay was, of course, production shut down due to COVID and not being able to return to set until September of 2020. Uh, during its Stranger Things event on November 6th, Netflix also released the titles for each of the episodes. So uh, I don't know if these are in order. They may or may not be, but we have the Hellfire Club. That's a nice uh, X-Men ref reference. Vecna's Curse, a little D&D &D action there. The Monster and the Superhero, Dear Billy, the Nina Project or the Nana Project. I have a feeling that might have to do with some, some red balloons. Uh, then the Dive, the Massacre at Hawkins Lab, Papa, and the Piggyback. So I think a lot of people were hoping that uh, Stranger Things was going to drop on November 6th on, on Stranger Things Day. But uh, I guess we have to wait a little bit longer for all of them special effects to be done. Right. Aren't those okay kids like that. 27 now? Well, they that's... They have to be digitally so that's, I am wondering... I mean, I'm just really wondering how much of it they had to go back and reshoot because they went on hiatus in early 2020 and they don't come back for six months, eight months later. Yeah, those those kids are going to be the, a lot more ganglier and taller in that time. The the creepiest thing in It Chapter 2, um, <laughs> you'd, expect, you'd expect it would be the clown, but in fact, it is them trying to de-age uh, film, or what's his name, Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and his other friends. Um, mm -hmm. And like very clearly just like bringing in like, either lady or young kid voice actors to, to voice these. They're like you can, a lot of time it looks okay. But then they'll do a close up, and it's like, no, this, this <laughs> person, this person is like 14 and like seven feet tall now. Yeah. Some of the, <laughs> some of the trailer stuff that I saw for season four looked fairly normal, but you can tell that they're definitely in, in high school at this point, or they, yeah. they should be in high school at this point, but I'm going to bet they're still in their last year of middle school. Is so time anyway, passing in stranger things. <gasps> oh yeah. Yeah, it does. It, um, every time, every season takes place in a different year. So That's it the was, twist. they're aging more than they should be because they're, they're aging upside down. Well, that was only in the first they're aging season, upside so. down. Yeah. Right. Dear listeners, you can join this con uh, join the conversation about these stories and a whole lot more over on our discord server. We really enjoy everybody who's been joining the Discord server lately. If you jump into the general uh, chat room, you'll get a lot of gifts and people waving and welcoming you and all that kind of stuff because all the people in the Major Spoilers Discord server are super, super nice. You can get in there and join the Discord server for free. Or if you are a patron, then you can link your Patreon account to our Discord server and that unlocks a bunch of secret channels where you can come and listen to Matthew and I record um, the Dueling Review podcast every Thursday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Uh, this week, we are looking at Robin and Batman number one from DC Comics uh, because you are wonderful people have voted and said that's what you want us to review this week. So you can listen to that live. Here's some pre-show discussion. Listen to the post-show discussion. If you missed last week's show, we don't record the pre and post show. But if you missed last week's Dueling Review live, you missed a pitch perfect uh uh, pitch for a holiday Hallmark holiday Christmas movie meatloaf saves Christmas. And it was, I, I guarantee you, Matthew agrees with me. Hallmark would have laid down some big money for, for that, for that movie. And who knows, maybe it'll come true. I don't know. You're going to find out more in the future when you go over to patreon.com slash major spoiler, sign up and then connect your discord account and then come and listen to us Thursday nights, eight o'clock. PM. All right, let us do some reviews. Reviews. Let's start with uh, Matthew with uh, Image Comics. They had a new Magic Order series launch uh, last mm -hmm. week. So tell us all about it. The second Magic Order limited series, uh, creatively called The Magic Order 2, uh, written <laughs> by Mark Miller. The Magic Order 2. Uh, now you see me too. Exactly. Uh, art in this volume by Stuart Eminen. Uh, you should know I'm an Eminen groupie. Uh, Eminen took over Legion of Superheroes back in like 1996, and I have loved Stuart Eminen art ever since. So, at the end of the Magic Order, you may recall 
that Cordelia Moonstone, the youngest daughter of the Moonstone family, in no way the Blackstone family, because that's uh, copyrighted and trademarked, Cordelia Moonstone cast a spell, a forbidden spell, and is now the leader of the secret magic order that controls the world. Um, I want to give you a heads up, and this is an important heads up for you. Mark Miller titles all take place with an assumption, and that assumption is life sucks and everybody is a brutal jerk. That is really off-putting to me. And from the very first oh, come page on. you hang out on issue, Twitter. You know that that's true. I was like, mm, this is this is so Mark Miller. Um, but I do hang out on Twitter. I also have friends who are just so cruel to me. Um, but you have to come in knowing that. You come in expecting that. You say, this is a Mark Miller story. I know how I respond to a Mark Miller story. Let's look at this comic and see how I respond to this Mark Miller story. So we start... Uh, with a man getting off work, but it's only 4.59, so he has to stand there for 35 seconds, being humiliated by the foreman before he is allowed to leave. And he's really, really angry. And so he walks down and he meets his aunt. And his aunt is using her telepathic powers to make the birds, or excuse me, the fish in the petting zoo kill each other. And then she uses her powers to make everyone who might have seen them kill each other and there's a massive massive just bloodletting mess and we realize that this family is a magic family and that they have problems with the moonstone family um so uh if you remember the moonstones they are a kind of like a wide-ranging group of cousins of cousins of cousins and each of them sort of has a role they wander around in their magic police so we get to see a couple of the moonstones on a magic police uh, thing, uh, not spoiling anything, lots of blood and guts and murder. Then we see Cordelia, uh, trying to adjust to her new life as, you know, a leader of the ancient magical order. Uh, it's not going well. So that's a, a thing. Um, really probably my favorite part of the issue in terms of story is when things start to explode because, you know, people are targeting uh, Cordelia and the Magic Order. And we see people exploring an exploded uh, uh, airplane, an airliner. And there's carnage everywhere. There's blood and guts and broken machinery. And somebody is walking around and talking about, well, you think he's faking his own death? And one of the corpses, half corpses, sits up and says, you know, that's a good plan. I'm listening. Love that moment. It is visually stunning. It's gross, but it's visually stunning. Um, all in all, this really is kind of, it's not a trailer because that's not fair. It's more of a, an aperitif, the French appetizer, where you're like, oh my gosh, all of these things are in play. All of these things might be happening. It's all going to come apart. And then, you know, the next six issues, we're going to see all of these stories crash into each other. And honestly, drawn by Stuart Eminen, I'm kind of down for that. And I don't know why that is, because the first volume of The Magic Order bugged me. I don't remember who drew it, and I don't think it was just a, I didn't like the art, because I like, or at least could tolerate the artist. But for some reason, Eminen writing these cruel, mean-spirited, freaky things, you know, people showing up in bolts of lightning and... Uh, people with knives and magical powers blowing each other up and somebody's imaginary friend coming to life and murdering all the adults in the building. All of that is tolerable as long as it's Miller and Eminem. So three slices of meatloaf for the Magic Order 2, number one. Not to be confused with the Magic Order 1, number two. That was a couple of years ago. This is number two, but also number one. Three all slices right. of meatloaf. I'm probably going to stick around unless this you know, next issue has something utterly horrific that I just can't stomach more than likely will be uh, part of the, the Netflix series. Once, uh, once that gets off the ground mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, the whole Miller world is over there right now. So very good. Are you threatening me. Uh, also out last <laughs> week from Archie comics, the chilling, chilling adventures in sorcery. Number one from a variety of artists, a variety of writers. This is a short little anthology one shot. 
featuring Madam Satan, who is guiding us through all of the scary stories of Riverdale. Um, which, you know, considering that we've seen the chilling adventures of Sabrina, we've seen afterlife with Archie. This is really pretty tame. I mean, everything's done in a kind of a gory way in places and, uh, you know, it's got dramatic lighting and great colors and it's everybody's own take on the Archie gang and Madam Satan. But like, um, one of the stories is five nights at Freddy's because Archie is working overnight at an, at an arcade and there's some scary monsters lurking around. And then there's another story where Jughead, you know, can't stop eating. And then he's got, you know, he's got this really big full belly, but he decides that he will hold back eating this one final bite of a hamburger, which he puts in the refrigerator. And then he's lying on the couch and he hears his stomach going, Oh, eat that last bite Jughead. And he's like, okay, I will go and eat this last bite. And he opens the refrigerator and the big giant mouth, uh, the former hamburger comes out and bites him. And that's the end of the story. Ha ha. Scary stuff. Right. Kids. Mm. <laughs> yeah so i don't know it's it's fun i think it's well done it's good that now that uh roberto um uh sacasa is back from his stint on riverdale uh that he can get back over to archie and start working on you know the scary spooky side of archie again that we're seeing a book like chilling adventures of sorcery he's not involved in this book at all um so it's good to see them wanting to take a different take on this. This isn't like the cartoony uh, stuff that you find in a normal Archie comic digest. Uh, it is kind of, it's got some gorier moments. It's all in good fun. It's very predictable. Um, but I, but I think for people that are wanting something now that we just had the chilling adventures of Sabrina last week or two weeks ago, uh, if you want more of that, it's, it's worth picking up. Um, you know, it's three ninety nine, so it's in a good price point. The art is really good. Uh, you've got Derek Charm and Vincenzo uh, Federici, Matt Her- uh, Herms, Pat Kennedy, and and Tim Kennedy doing the the art in this book. Amy Chu and Elliot Rahal and Evan Stanley doing the writing on this book. Uh, it's it's well done. It's well put together. Just don't expect uh, Cthulhu to rise up and marry Sabrina at the end of of the last issue, because uh, that's not going to happen. Um, but it's still fun and I think you'll enjoy it. And if you're still coming down off your Halloween candy high, I think that you will enjoy this book. I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf out of five. And if you want to buy uh, any of the books that we are talking about tonight, there are links in the show notes so that you can go and buy the individual issues through the comiXology Amazon affiliate links. Um, and then you can read it for yourself on your Kindle or on your iPad or wherever you can get a Comixology app. So there you go. Four slices of scary meatloaf kids for chilling adventures in sorcery. Number one from Archie comics. We're going to jump ahead and keep it in the uh, devil category. Rodrigo. Uh, We're going to jump ahead to next week with uh, something from dynamite entertainment. That's right. We have all three magical wizardy stuff because there's witches in this one. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. Purgatory number two, um, in this comic, uh, Purgatory, who you might remember from the 90s um, as a like devil lady who has wings uh, and dresses pretty much exclusively in a black bikini and uh, stiletto boots. Um, she's also a vampire. Um, she's like a vampire demon hybrid, uh, or something. I don't remember exactly what, where that comes from. But, um, the important thing about purgatory is that people are always trying to get her powers. Purgatory is a very powerful person. Um, she's, you know, super strong, very fast. She can fly. Uh, she has vampire powers and also all the powers of a king and all the powers of Superman. Um, (laughs) so she people are always after her they want to use her blood in things they want to recruit her they want to basically she's the supernatural it girl um so there's a a group of witches that are trying to get her and they want to use her as part of some sort of ritual and uh unbeknownst to her she's already kind of fulfilled the first part that's what happens in the first issue 
Um, so they're trying to basically trick her into doing the second part. This issue has some explainy, but mostly fighty. Um, you get to see her fight um, some Norse mythology monsters um, because uh, she ends up somewhere in Europe. Um, and then um, she meets another character. And then by the end, they are likely going to team up to find the witches and, and figure out what the witches are trying to do. Um, you know, this is a perfectly, perfectly reasonable comic. Um, it's, it's strange because I, I don't feel like this comic's art or plot or anything had like any room or cared about any sort of like titillation it's like these characters back in the 90s they were always drawn in like these like very compromising poses even when they mm -hmm. were just like standing around and that mm -hmm. has kind of gone away there's some like low angle shots where you're like oh this is kind of a butt shot but yeah it, it, and it's like strangely that makes it weirder because this character is dressed like a go-go dancer you know um <laughs> like a, a literally a go-go dancer from hell um i was gonna make a reference to a tenacious d video but i can't say the title of it on uh <laughs> uh but so yeah so again perfectly perfectly fine comic lots of action i'm gonna give it three slices of meatloaf art art is good um cover art is good yeah it's uh just strictly an above average offering very good very very good uh, listeners, if we want even more reviews, you know where to point your browser, Majorspoilers.com. That's the place for quality reviews. As I was telling some people today, uh, when it comes down to listening to other people tell you about products, whether it be a piece of electronic equipment or a piece of hardware or a piece of uh, software or just reviews of movies and such, always ask yourself, these people on the level, are they really coming at you with the truth? Or are they being paid under the table by somebody uh, corporate or otherwise? And the simple answer at Major Spoilers is, no, these are our honest opinions and our honest evaluations. So if that is what you're looking for in your comic book reviews, make sure you point that browser to Majorspoilers.com. You guys, uh, the poll, I, I posted a poll today on Twitter. Uh, are you guys a High Republic fan or a... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Knights of the Old Republic or yeah, yeah. Knights Are you the, the Republic, High yeah. Republic or a, an Old Republic fan? Because I got to tell you, I've really been digging what uh, Lucasfilm has been doing with this big High Republic initiative that they launched where it's basically mm -hmm. books and comics across multiple publishers. And I believe there's an upcoming High Republic game and it's all shared universe. So you know, you may be reading in uh, one of Charles uh, Sewell's uh, Star Wars books that Yoda is off with a bunch of younglings uh, doing something. And then you can go over to IDW Publishing and you can pick up that comic book. Uh, and it's Yoda and all of these young Jedi Yoda going and out and doing, yeah, Yoda and the younglings going and doing stuff on the far rim of the galaxy. And the, uh, what is it, the Nihil, the, the, the villains in, in, the, uh, in the series are really cool. I just... I'm really kind of digging what Star Wars is doing with High Republic. So I don't know if you guys have been checking out any of that stuff. Uh, so it may be kind of slanted in the answer. But what about you, Rodrigo? Are you Old Republic or High Republic? I, I mean, I haven't I haven't checked this stuff out, but I was a big fan of the what what collectively became known as the Knights of the Old Republic mm -hmm. um, stuff, right? Um, which predates the prequels by a significant amount. Um, uh, so I, I got really into the comics that were coming out with that stuff. Um, and, uh, kind of feel like an old man because a lot of that stuff got, uh, erased. Um, but also a lot of that stuff was brought back. So now it's hard to remember what, what of all that I read was, uh, yeah. was canon or not. I suppose I could just start reading these new books as they, probably pretty straightforward uh rearrange a new b cannon uh for for right. star wars yeah yeah, yeah. wait matthew, a cannon full of bees yes you gotta bees. watch out for those uh matthew what about you I'm sorry. 
I don't know enough to say one way or the other. I mean, the stuff that I love about Star Wars is pick and choose. I mean, I love Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but that's because, you know, I'm an Alan Dean Foster freak. And I, again, I'm conversant in all sorts of ABCD canon. But honestly, I don't think I know enough to know the difference. So, mm. um, yeah, I guess it, I guess it depends on Republic. what kind of story that you're wanting. You know, you know, like Old Republic is like it's at the basically towards the end of the of the Jedi Order. This is kind of like when the Jedi are almost at their peak in uh, High Republic, uh, you know, where they have just launched a brand new like Jedi space station to protect the area that is, I'm guessing, out around the Tatooine, you know, outside the Outer Rim kind of stuff. Um, and so it's just, you know, the Jedi are the the marshals of the land, the, the Pinkerton agents of the land, and they're getting into adventures and solving problems. Um, you know, they're not, you know, this uh, these old ways and old religions kind of stuff that Han Solo would, would balk at. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. just me. And I, I know that there are some people okay. who are really into it, but I know that there are some people that are do and die um, old Republic fans that that's, that's the only star Wars they want. So I can dig okay, it. If so you're, if you have star Wars is the one where um, the Mandalorian ends up uh, in the planet with uh, eastbound and down. And that guy stole Boba Fett's hat. Is that old Republic or is that high Republic? No, that's neither. Okay. That's, so that's what that's, I like. That's post. Um, that's post post collapse. Yeah, it's it's if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's like post rebellion. Yeah, post uh, post Return of the Jedi is right. what Mandalorian is set at. Yeah. My problem is it, the more we find out canonically about the Jedi, sure. Uh, you know, post uh, after the end of the old expanded universe, the the creepier I find the Jedi. And oh, they, so they have, I'm, they are I'm very really problematic. enjoying the parts that aren't Jedi. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They can be really problematic, especially when I mean it's their religious order, right? That has taken it upon themselves to uh, dictate order in the universe. So they're imparting. I mean, they're actually foot soldiers for the. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, imperial that's the senate recognized by the government, right? Yeah, right. They're uh, paladins. Yeah. When and but, yeah, it's like back in the uh, back back when we we watched. Uh, a new hope for the first time or star Wars for the first time is like, Oh, the Jedi Knights were like the coolest guys back in the day. It's like, you could imagine whatever, but it's like, once they start writing them, it's like, what are the options? Like your options are, yeah. Pinkerton, your options are like cop, right? It's like the, the Jedi are basically police, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and like particularly powerful police. They're like elite troops. And then the, uh, prequels and uh clone war stuff turns them into soldiers right so it's like if if jedi as cops or jedi as soldiers doesn't appeal to you a lot of the old republic and high republic and clone war stuff is very unappealing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and jedi themselves because of their religious order as i said is somewhat problematic because they do kind of especially in the first part of the high Republic stuff that I've read and there's already a lot of it. So it can quickly become, uh, you can quickly become inundated with, with stuff. Imposing their will on others is somewhat also is somewhat problematic too. Um, yeah, sure, but they you know, came and they stole Jin's baby. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Hey, you can't have this baby anymore. Din Djarin. And he's like, but I like this baby and my mustache. And they're like, no, we take your baby. Well, and, and old, like, oh, uh, old, I, I, I want to say that old Star Wars stuff, like a lot of the comics I was reading played with that. They were like the, mm-hmm. the Jedi order itself was flawed and yeah, they were like, they had all these rules and they had all these issues. Um, but a lot of the time because they wanted, they want them to be the good guys. They downplay the faults, uh, like, like the faults inherent. Right in the Jedi who are a religious martial order that trains children from, you know, birth, if they can swing it, um, to, to be part of their organization and also have a huge amount of state granted power. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that sounds, it's like, that sounds like a great order for the good guys to fight. 
It's like these, mm-hmm. like a bunch of like religious magical super wizards that are sponsored by this huge intergalactic government and can basically come and go as they please. That sounds scary as heck. Yep. 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 Uh, but there's also some good stories. Uh, the, the, I think uh, the most interesting aspect, especially of the first book in the series uh, that I read was that there are characters that, you know, Jedi are supposed to be celibate, but uh, in the high Republic, there are, Definitely some romances going on and the questioning of, is it okay if we are involved with one another or, you know, is this against the order? What do we do? Should we leave the order? So I think those kind of like moral questions that come up in that is, is fascinating, but also just to see the Jedi do some pretty awesome things. I mean, if, if I were to say from the book and I've reviewed the book, Oh, a year or so ago on the major spoilers podcast, um, the Jedi are like the most powerful, I think at this point in, in the entire Jedi order, because at one point all the Jedi link minds from like the whole quadrant or sector. And they're able to start deflecting like that's parts of starships that are coming out of hyperspace and blowing up planets. And they're able to start deflecting some of those things with with the power of the force. That's, that's the other thing, right? That's why like you approach it as a writer and you're like, well, I can do stuff like that. Right. But it's like, I, I want the Jedi to struggle. It makes it hard to write. That's why uh, they had um, Daddy Green Lantern blow up a planet and mm-hmm. and merge with Parallax and explode everyone so that they could have one Green Lantern. And you couldn't just have like mm-hmm. the entire Green Lantern Auxiliary Corps show up anytime you needed them. Yeah. I think in, in this case, though, I, I especially in the, in, in the first book, it is we have such amazing power and yet we are still quote unquote human and that we still have to deal with human interpersonal conflicts, uh, inner conflicts, relationship conflicts, love, all that stuff. I I think was pretty cool about that. So anyway, depending on when you're listening to this, the poll may still be open, head over to the uh, major spoilers, Twitter feed, and you will find it somewhere buried in there amongst all of the previews that I send out on Tuesday. news so and previews and, and all kinds of stuff all sorts of groovy mm-hmm. stuff happens at majorspoilers.com and it's all because of our fine listeners who support us throughout the world okay let's get into our big discussion this week the trade collection steve canyon volume 4 1953 to 1954 a whole year's worth of comics this is a lot it is uh, uh, even if we even if i had started this back in sure. september I don't know if I would be finished with this by now because it's over 300 pages. Um, and the thing is Milton Caniff, or I think that's how you say his name, Caniff. right? Is can Caniff. Um, I say Caniff. He, he didn't let up. He's got nope. six days of black and white three and four panel strips. And yeah. then he's got a whole Sunday strip. And then it starts all over. So it's not like they take a day off or their Monday, Wednesday, Friday strips or anything like this, like we saw in some of the Spider-Man stuff. Um, this is just, we're, we're just going head on and we're covering military adventures in this thing. So Steve Canyon is at, at the start of this. He is the Colonel at the um, town of Indian Cape, I believe up in Washington state or in Oregon. And he is there to protect the town in case the Russians decide to nuke it or whatever that they're doing. But the <laughs> town, the town hates the fact that the flyboys are always buzzing in with their jets and causing commotion. And there's Pipper, the Piper who is a big pain in the ass, new hotshot kid that comes into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time we get involved with two uh, school teachers in town who are single. And one of them's madly in love with Steve Canyon and then Steve has to go off uh, to Korea where he gets involved with, uh, well, maybe he goes to, well, he, he gets involved with uh, a bunch of um, uh, guerrilla warriors uh, up in China who are trying to free China. And so he gets involved with Princess Snowflower. Uh, and then there's a whole thing about an opium heroin trade that he's trying to uh, take down and then so much more. I About the part that I got done with the, with the princess snowflower and kind of skim through the heroin trade bit. After that, I was like, I'm done. And I'm only halfway through this book. So I don't know how far you guys got in the book, 
But that's how far I got in the book. I've had enough war comics after that. Matthew, what about you? How far did you get it? I got about 200 pages in, but I got to tell you, a lot of that was just appreciating the art. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this, this is one of those strips that, one of those artists that people will say is just amazing and incredible. And I can see that visually speaking. You know, I looked at this and I'm like, yeah. But I started tuning out of, you know, political intrigue from 1952. Uh, partly because, you know, some of the references are a little dated, but it's also one of those things where a lot of times when you're doing a story like this, it's, you know, Hey, remember that thing that was in the news? There was like a U2 crash or something. I feel like some of that, a knowledge of what was actually happening in the year 1953 in uh, the real world would have given me a little bit more of a grounding, but yeah, it, it really was for me by the time I got about 150 pages in, I'm like, I'm going to look at these Sunday strips and just appreciate how incredibly weird the shots are and the depth of field and the aerial shots. And of course, you know, the attractive young women that show up every once in a while. Ms. Yeah, so, Mizzou uh, shows up Mil- in this. Kanef, uh really draws some highly detailed and dense panels. So when it comes to like the women, Oh, they're all the sexy women. They got the really thin waist and they got uh, nice, uh, uh, breasts and their clothing is always tight and form fitting. And depending on where Steve is having his adventures, it could be someone from, uh, you know, Indochina. It could be someone from, you know, uh, Washington state. It could be someone that he's known his entire life that he wants to make out with. And those are all really nice. Mm-hmm. But if you ever take a good long look at Steve Canyon, mm-hmm. Kenneth draws him like the scariest person in the world. Like this is some kind of freak <laughs> of nature. Because if you think if take your, take your, your, your fingers and put them in the corner of your mouth. And then if you go straight up, you should hit the middle of your eyeball. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But Steve Canyon's mouth goes all the way out to the edge, the outside edge of his eyeball. So if you draw a straight line down from the edge of your eyeball, your mouth would be all the way out into the middle of your cheeks. And that's how he draws Steve Canyon. And all I can do is just look in horror every time there's a shot of him on the page because I'm just like, man, that man's face is weird. (laughs) There's there's definitely a Kirby-esque quality to, to canyon specifically yeah right yeah. with like a very rectangular head and he's supposed to look both like severe and handsome um mm-hmm. but um you know i guess it just depends what you're into if you like i don't know like 1999 conan o'brien you might like uh pipper the piper better yeah right, right. exactly and, you know yeah if if you like i uh, grew up watching clutch cargo you won't be nearly as horrified by Steve Canyon's face because it's clearly of, done in Ultravox. All I could think of when I'm looking at Steve Canyon is there's this artist. Now, J. Michael T. would know, uh, one of our listeners, mm-hmm. because he uses one of the guy's icons, I believe. But it's this guy that was drawing, that was creating these real life oh, sculptures yeah. of what, you know, somebody that like Bert would look like in real life or a Lego person from would Sesame look like Street, in real life. Yeah. yeah. From Sesame street and like what Homer would look like in real life. And they're just like horrifying stuff. Every time I was looking at Steve Canyon, I kept thinking about back to this artist and how he would create this person in real life <laughs> and what a horrific monster it would be. The, the, the teachers in the town and the, uh, the, the, the spies and all the other women, they wouldn't want to be making out with Steve Canyon. They'd be fleeing in horror. From him. Well, I mean, you always know who Steve Canyon is in That's a true. Book full of soldiers where Very everybody true. dresses the same. That is true. You, know, <laughs> you you always you can always tell because he is sitting there rectangularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, One and, of the, and it's fine. Uh, you can also uh, always tell who the Asian characters are. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, this is the unfortunate side effect of time. Yeah. We've talked about this. Uh, with uh, uh, Mandrake the Magician, how you start mm-hmm. to get into a little bit of of problems with Luthor. Uh, you run into issues all the time Lothar. with Tintin. Lothar. Uh, yeah, Lothar and the Lotharians. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to run into those same things, I think, 
regardless. We were talking a little bit in the pre-show for those of you who were listening about Revenge of the Nerds. And yeah, there's stuff that was probably acceptable, you know, to the general populace in the 1950s. But today you just look at it and you're just like, oh my, that's, that's probably not right. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are some, uh, Steve, I think it's Steve Canyon strips. Um, and if I'm wrong, people will probably write in. There are some Steve Canyon strips, I think earlier in the run where he ends up in, uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's basically Just like, you know, if, if you've ever read Gordo, it's like Gordo only without the good natured, uh, stuff going on. And I'm just like, yeah. Oh, oh my, yeah. that's, that's not good. I think one of the things that makes this, that made this so difficult to read was that mm-hmm. even though this is following the three or four panel strip format each day, mm-hmm. um, unlike Mandrake, where you could blow through it a little bit easier because the first panel was basically repeating what happened at the end of the last panel of the previous mm-hmm. strip. This one just assumes that you read the previous read strip and that you have to just plow through. So if you missed a Sunday strip, they're not going to make apologies for you missing a Sunday strip. They're just continuing right on with the story come Monday morning. So I think yeah. that, that could be part of the problem. Uh, there there is some recaps, but also uh, the, that's the other thing is like, when you look at something like Mandrake or the Phantom or Spider-Man, you know when the big changes are happening because mm-hmm. it involves a character blowing up or something, right? Or somebody like mm-hmm. jumping through a window. Um, with this, a lot of the developments are through dialogue. You know, it's like the first arc of this volume is basically like the townspeople don't like the the Air Force Air Base, Base yeah. and there's mm-hmm. a guy who is using that to his advantage to basically try to take the land away from the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all of that is comes out through dialogue. You know, nobody... Uh, uh, there is a plane crash that is used to... Like, that is immediately politicized, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, and all this stuff is perfectly interesting, um, but uh, yeah, it's like all of the developments in that story happen through dialogue. You don't see there is a brawl, but there's like one brawl, right? You're not seeing people like constantly duke it out. You're not seeing car chases and car crashes or anything like that. Most of the time. Yeah. Go ahead. All of this. Yeah. So from, if you're trying to sort of skim it or get an idea of what's going on, all of these strips largely look the same. Yeah. There Mm -hmm. is not a lot of action going on until you get like, there's a part where he, Steve, and I think, um, what is the Asian spy lady's name? Um, they're where they're dangling out the back of an airplane. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the heroin trade story, uh, that they're just, and that's kind of like some action stuff, but there's not a lot of action in here. There's like a whole thing. It's like, uh, Pipper, you need to go and escort the children around the base. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. so happens to be the two ladies, uh, the two teachers showed up. I guess I will escort them around the base. And then a week of es- escort, uh, escorting them around the base. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make for a lot of high action, but I guess as Matthew indicated earlier, that's kind of offset by the, the highly detailed art in this yeah. piece. And yeah. that's, that's really good. It's really cool to look at, say for the creepy Steve Canyon stuff. Um, it's really cool to look at, but with all the wordy dialogue, I also think the art doesn't help this strip in its ease of readability. And that may be by design, right? Because Mm -hmm. there is so much detail in the background, so much detail in the midground, so much detail in the foreground that it slows your reading process down because of the way that it's shaded where panel one, they may be in this position, but by panel two, you kind of have to reorient yourself a little bit and then you're drawn yeah. into all of the yeah, detail. It's like a whole art. different shot. Yeah. So at the, at the one time, uh, on the one hand, it is, it's amazing to look at the art in this, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. it really slows down the reading. I mean, if you read peanuts, that's simple line art. You read Calvin and Hobbes, that's fairly simple line art, but I mean, you're really getting into highly hyper detailed stuff that even goes beyond the Ramita stuff that we were looking at in the amazing Spider-Man uh, comic strips, the, the newspaper strip stuff. And his art is really good. This is a level of detail higher than that. And I say that this may have been done intentionally by design, not only to show off uh, the uh, Canif's, uh work uh, ability to, to draw, 
but also to make you spend a little bit more time on that strip in that you have to spend more time reading the words, looking at the panels, as opposed to just blowing right through uh there, here comes Charlie Brown, good old Charlie well, Brown. Yep, Charlie Brown. Yeah. I hate that guy. And and I'm sure for Steve Canyon fans, this was great because unlike us, you only get to read one like Yeah, one year's worth of story. One 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 like four inch by ten inch uh mm-hmm. story per day, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't read ahead, you can't figure out oh what's going to happen here until tomorrow so each time you open it it's a feast for the senses mm-hmm. right. yeah. Um, yeah and, and yeah and it's i think like, like you can, uh, mary star is, or yeah uh, kathy star whatever her name is was probably also kind of like that as far brenda as brenda star goes brenda star that's one thing brenda yeah. star but yeah. that's i mean there's also a couple of things that you look into i mean these are designed for people who are going to read every day. These are designed to be serialized entertainments at a time when, I mean, 1953, 1954, the television networks were very new. You know, it, it I want to say, yeah, that's by what I'm 53, saying. Three. Yeah. That's you know, what I'm there saying. Wasn't, the- there wasn't the ability to go out and do what, you know, you and I do. We go, we watch 500 channels. I think this might have been the equivalent of, you know, watching what in the 60s, watching an episode of Dragnet would have been for, you know, your average person on the street. So I think that, well, for one thing, um, Milk kind of does not hold back on the word count. I'm looking at a Sunday strip and, you know, Rodrigo legendarily mocks 70s comics for being a wall of text. This is 10 panels, and I swear to you, there's 700 words in one Sunday strip. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's that's what I was saying is I think maybe it's intentional to slow it down because you've got all of Mm -hmm. the other strips trying to grab your attention that if you slow down and you spend more time reading this by design, you're not reading over. I don't even know if Charlie Brown was out by the 50s. Uh, You're not reading Dennis the Menace. You're not reading. I want to say. Yeah, you're not reading Beetle Bailey or whatever else that the strips were. You're focused. You're not reading Zits. You're not reading uh, for better or worse. None of those existed in the fifties. Well, but the the point still stands that you know if you had a highly detailed comic like this, yeah, you might breeze through uh, High and Lois, but man, you're going to stop and slow down to take in every single panel of Steve Canyon. And I think that again, I think that may be by design. It, it definitely is. I mean, when you look at some of the strips that you and I grew up reading, first of all, yeah, they Heathcliff, had been shrunk. Garfield, but even Marmaduke had been shrunk from you know the way that these were. These were half page strips on a Sunday, and the you know the the three page or three panel or four panel strips were a third of a newspaper page in 1953. <laughs> But, you know, if you look at some of the stuff that was coming out at the same time, you had like your gasoline alley. Uh, you had your uh, Blondie and Dagwood, I'm sure. But you I, also yeah, have I don't know about Blondie and Dagwood. You definitely would have like gasoline alley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blondie and Dagwood, I want to say, goes back to the 1930s because Blondie was a, a flapper when he met her. But, you you know, things even like Barney Google or your um, what's the one that Colonel Potter read? Um, Beetle Bailey. Uh, Beetle Bailey. No, the the the. Hagar the horrible. Stop saying seventies things. The hillbilly guy who married Daisy May. What is his name? Oh, little Abner. Uh, yeah, little Abner. Uh-huh. Those were long form, you know, and by design they were long form involved strips. Where, like a Dick Tracy, you see the characters age and change yep. years and years and years, and you have the kind of connection from the readers that we get for an entire season of breaking bad or, you know, whatever we're watching now. So it's definitely by design that he's doing these extremely complex, you know, designs and these deep images and things that are so detailed that you're like, I know that's a DC three. Look at that. That's really well drawn. But then you also have that question of, is that also something that distances us as readers in the 21st century from that? Because, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not super intimidated by it. I just think it makes it harder to get through in a casual yeah. read. Um, I think the thing that makes it harder for an audience today to appreciate it is as, uh, 
Rodrigo, where you mentioned that it's 1953 and you kind of, when I first jumped into this, I was like, well, what war are we in at this point? And I'd think, oh yeah, this is Korean war. And so you have to think about that and you have to think about the things that are going on in the fifties. And some of it is just, you know, super slight stuff. Um, there's yeah, a lot of, well, veterans a lot day, of single strips going on. Yeah. A lot of it is what hasn't happened yet. Right. 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 It's like, oh, they're talking about this and like the Chinese and stuff is like, well, at this point, I don't think the Chinese are even doing what we know the Chinese were doing today. Right. It's like right. that didn't start out till the 60s or whatever. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Is so there communist is China. Are there communists yet in 1953? Right. Right. You know, you have yes. to do that, that math in your head. So I think if there's anything that is the barrier to modern day readers picking up a collection and, and granted this collection, we're reading electronic review copies from IDW, but if you know the kind of stuff that IDW puts out in these collected forms, you know that they spend a lot of attention and a lot of detail and they really go all out to make these books that you will want to add to your collection. If you're a fan of Steve Canyon, um, I think the biggest barrier is the fact that we are, the audiences today may not be as familiar with the politics of the time period and, and military aspects of the time period. And I think that's the ultimate, the ultimate drawback to this, to this collection and probably any Steve Canyon collection, to be honest. For me, you actually hit the nail on the head when you said it's hard to look at this and have it be a casual read mm -hmm. because I feel like I at least am conditioned to see newspaper comic strips as casual reads as you know something you know we sure, talk about sure. calvin and hobbes the brilliance of calvin and hobbes is the minimalism of calvin and hobbes it's a little boy and his imaginary friend and you know the calvin and hobbes strip is generally black and white really tiny and there's some wonderful art in there but you'll you know you won't see something as complex as a canif panel because it doesn't reproduce you know, it right. didn't in the 1980s and 90s ever happen. So I feel like for me, looking at this and thinking, oh, I know comic strips. I read Ziggy all the time mm -hmm. or going in with an expectation of loose continuity like you get from Kathy or from, you know, Peanuts or God forbid, uh, Foxtrot, whatever you're going to be reading. And then you come into this and this is extremely complex, very verbose, mm -hmm, full mm -hmm. of political intrigue and things. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I'm I romance. don't feel I mean, like I come to a comic strip for that. Yeah. And we don't read very many romance comics and this has right. definitely got a ton of romance in it. Right. Whether yeah, it romance. is straight up, whether it is straight up, oh, I'm a woman and I need to find a man, which you think I'm joking. That's literally the setup That's of the first here. story. Uh, or whether it is a miscommunication of who loves who in the case when he goes and meets uh, Princess Sunflower and uh, the big rough and tough guy thinks that uh, she's fallen in love with Steve and that's not the case. And he goes off to join the Red Army. Uh, you know, there's that kind of stuff throughout this book. I mean, there's there's yeah. kissing and making out uh, in this book. So you've got that going for you. Um, I I don't know. I think this book. And I think the reason why IDW publishing does a really good job of republishing a lot of this stuff is to give people who want a historical perspective yeah. of comics and these characters a chance to read it. Cause otherwise you're going to have to sit in front of the, uh, uh, the microfiche machine and scroll through hundreds of thousands of newspapers to get what IDW puts into this collection. So, well, and, and one thing we haven't touched on is that actually this collection opens with. Um, yeah. yeah, with like paragraphs and paragraphs of like the cast of characters. Yeah, basically yeah. reference like materials. Yeah, actual pictures about like actual pictures of the people involved in uh, mm. doing Steve Canyon. So it you know it's actually a super informative thing about a comic strip that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like this a lot of the times reading through this, it feels like somebody did take like. Uh, like Mark Trail, Brenda Starr, and like War Comics, and just like made this up because I had never heard of this, um, <laughs> and like just made this like completely realistic, made-up strip. Um, but you know, in fact, that's not the case. This actually happened. Yeah. So while I loved the Amazing Spider-Man stuff and highly recommend that, while I enjoyed the Mandrake stuff for what it was, 
while I can appreciate, um, uh, what other strips have we, we read recently? Uh, oh God. Those, those are the two that jump into my mind uh, right Sin away. Fest. No, that was a long time ago. Uh, but Nine, just, Wapsie you know, square, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> those are web comics. So a little bit different, but while I would definitely recommend some of those other things, if you are a fan of military, if you are a fan of military history, if you're a fan of political history, then maybe pick up Steve Canyon for the historical read. Maybe pick up Steve Canyon if you want the pretty art. But I, I just can't recommend this as something that a casual person would just go out and pick up and go, oh, yeah, I want to add this to my collection because I don't think that this is. I think you have to be a very specific kind of person to want to go out and read a Steve Canyon collection. So my bottom line is if your local library has it, most definitely check it out uh, because then you can return it when you're done. But this is definitely a not buy from me. It's definitely a borrow or a checkout from the library. Uh, Rodrigo, what are your final thoughts on, on Steve Canyon? So yeah, definitely. First off, um, be aware that there are depictions of both Asian people and black people that are like sort of visually not very flattering as far as their characters. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's a real mileage mileage may vary, but like the Asian people legit have like yellow skin, like their Lemon skin is yellow. yellow right. Yeah. So it's like yeah. not, that's not great. Aside from that, um, yeah, this book is very specific. The 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 humor doesn't translate super well. Um, there's like fun little characters, but also there's like big sweeping storylines going on. You might not get back to a character you like for a while. Um, and uh, yeah, personally, I'm not super interested in 1950s military mm -hmm. dramas. So it's it's kind of a pass for me or, yeah, definitely if you find it in your library, flip through it, see if you're interested and, and check it out. Yeah. Matthew, final thoughts from you. I think that the big uh, hurdle for me was I really enjoy the art. I found the story kind of overwhelming, but most of all in the year 2021, the kind of patriotic uh, to the point of jingoistic kind of oh, yeah, things that of you that. see and hear these cold war kind of portrayals don't necessarily ring the same way they did. And I know that, you know, Kane meant them sure. absolutely sincerely, absolutely yeah. enthusiastically and, you know, wanted to make, you know, remind people of the servicemen and what they did, you know, early on in the series, there's a, we see a puzzle in universe and uh, there's a thing that says the first 10 service members to submit the right answer will get a prize. You know, it's one of those things that was done absolutely straightforward in 1953, but in 2021 just feels like just right on the edge of, oh my gosh, this is scary. Are we going to fall off into, you know, right wing candy land? And yeah, yeah and, and it gets pretty close. It gets pretty close yeah. at times. So. I mean, very, very I, close. And you can, I mean, the, you, you crack open the book first, very first handful of things that happens there's this assumption that the air force having built this military base next to this town is a good thing and everybody who's trying to stop that is the bad guys but it's like that that's something that's an assumption that the book never questions right mm -hmm. it's like nowadays that would be something that we look at and is like sure there'd be an air force air force base so close to this town right yeah. And, you know, you get into that kind of reality of, you know, a world right rolling right into the Army McCarthy hearings. That's a big uh, drawback for me. My recommendation is if your library has it, buy it. Look at the gorgeous art, you know, take in the moments that are, hey, here's a bit of history. And then maybe just kind of put it back on the shelf for the next person to enjoy the lovely art as, you know, kind of a time capsule of 70 years ago. Yeah, there we go. Well, I think we're going to wrap the show up there before that woodpecker over at Matthew's house uh, bores a hole uh, through his uh, wooden leg <laughs> and say uh, thank you, dear listeners, for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience this week. Uh, we love your feedback, even when it's incredibly passive, aggressive, and hurtful. So you can join the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server. Discord. Discord. That core, the other core Discord server. 
to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode, or you can drop us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com titled Why You So Mean to Matthew, and you might hear your words on an upcoming episode. And don't forget, uh, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. We will be back next week to talk. Let's see. What are we talking about next week? Vision and the Scarlet Witch and Daredevil. Oh, we've only got two comics to read next week. Why? Well, because uh, we just read Steve Canyon and we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine me in the Middle East with a king sign throwing soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.